124 to play. Strickland again, deep three. Got it! Are you kidding me? Lloyd Strickland with another deep three. One set for sure. That one's going to be off the net. Great hustle there from Altcorn to read that one. Is it four for Filth? Two on one. Filth backdoor pass. Cox looking for Filth and he scores. Beautiful passing play. Luke Filth buries it. Fiddle undresses inside to Josh Lee. He's onside. And there's the finish. Joshua Lee opens the scoring for Durham College in the gold medal game of the national championship. What a finish. Quarter. Not a lot of time. Schluter. Oh, he hits it at the death. Lars Schluter. And there he is coming, putting much light between he and Degonye. And finally, the OUA Phenom takes the win, the one they call Nighthawk. Jack Sheffer is the U Sports Gold Medalist. Lacoste is still looking good. So is Hello, everyone, and welcome in to episode three of the All Canadian Podcast. Tyler Bennett here with you once again. First off, happy family day to everyone across Canada. Hopefully you're able to enjoy the day in whatever capacity it is. We've made it to the second week of scheduled episodes, which is a big improvement. If you know the track record of things here for myself, it's the third straight scheduled episode that has come out on time to start the relaunch. So we're counting this as a big win and uh, we're, we're, we're building a solid foundation to continue growing as things develop and unfold here. So taking whatever wins I can these days, three straight scheduled episodes have come out on time. You love to see it. You love it. As you can see by the title of this episode, talking a wide variety of topics with Ian Anderson McKenzie, third-year goalkeeper for the Conestoga Condors men's soccer program in the OCAA. And as you can see by the title, first topic off the bat uh, is one that needs to be talked about year-round. And is a conversation that has become, I want to say, more commonplace and more socially accepted in the last two years, especially with the pandemic, because we've all been affected by it in some way. Um, But the topic around mental health and in talking to Ian leading up to the episode, that was the first thing he mentioned he wanted to have a discussion around. Given Bella's talk day was under a month ago now, and how every year you see kind of people post and don't really follow up on what they post on Bella's talk day because it's they think it's a social media trend. Um, it's really important to keep that conversation going year round. And as soon as Ian said, want to talk about mental health and sport and the impact of the kind of return to play process it was like done easy let's run with it put that first let it breathe as much as we can and he shared a level of vulnerability that 
I didn't expect or I didn't know um, about his story and his journey with his own mental health uh, to this point in his life and his sports career. So really in-depth conversation around mental health and the impacts that we all kind of deal with and I guess struggle with it sometimes in, in our own way. And again, Ian shared a lot about his story and kind of his own personal struggles and in battles with mental health and how he's started to overcome the challenges and the battles that he's had and some of the things he does to practice self-care and prioritize his own mental health and some of the things he's learned over the years. He looks at the approach he took early on versus how he is now and kind of how his initial approach in tragedy didn't help his own mental health even though he thought it would and to where he is now and how he's progressed over the years. So it was really interesting to hear uh, from my perspective, at least how he's been able to grow and develop and prioritize his own mental health as, as things have gone on. In addition to that, we talked about his uh, wide variety of sports that he played as a kid. uh, Some of the benefits of, playing different sports as, as a younger uh, person before you specialize in a sport to avoid that burnout. And it's one of those things that I, I firmly agree with as well. I played a lot of different sports growing up as a kid and the, the life lessons you learn and the people you meet, I don't know if I wouldn't have met them if I just played hockey all year round or baseball all year round or whatever sport it is that you choose being in different environments, different scenarios with different groups of people, I think is really beneficial, especially for young kids who are still just trying to figure everything out and figure out who they are and what they enjoy. And I think we have to let the kids decide what they want to do and playing more sports, the better, obviously, there's the the odd youth talent that stands out head and shoulders above the rest that may have a real shot of, of playing professional down the road. Maybe those are the ones that specialize early on, but for the rest of us, average Joes, and that's even putting myself in a category that I think is above my weight class when it comes to athletic abilities, but the average person should play as many sports as they can, I think, as a kid and just learn the different lessons and be around different people and, you know, all the other benefits that playing multiple sports has. And then if you think you have a shot, specialize when you're a bit older, a bit more mature, but it's tough to go pro. So, I mean, unless you are that one in a million kid, play it for fun and see what happens. We looked at his love for golf. And the decision he made when it came down to golf and soccer in grade 11, I'll let him describe more of that as we go throughout the episode, but what ultimately led him to opt out of 
competitive golf and play soccer and how he ultimately ended up at Conestoga, the progression uh, the program has taken in the last three years that he's been a part of the team. What lies ahead for Ian as well, whether it's professionally, uh, athletically, wherever he wants to live, location, is he returning to school? He, he outlines a lot of the options that he's kind of weighing right now as to what's next outside of uh, this year when it's all said and done here at the end of April. So in the roughly 94 minutes that we talked, and it didn't really feel like 94 minutes. I think once, once we started going, there was, there was a, a level of comfort and almost familiarity to the conversation, even though it was the first time that uh, Ian and I have chatted in, I guess, face-to-face, even though it was through Zoom, which you'll hear me say on the episode, I am so far done with Zoom, Microsoft Teams, anything. Give me in-person meetings. Give me in-person interviews. Give me in-person everything. We had it cut out once, and you'll you'll hear that about uh, 17 minutes into the interview. I don't know why I told you the time. You're not going to be tracking it, thinking, okay, 1659, 17-1701. It's going to cut out soon. He said it's going to. It's, it's going to cut out at some point. I apologize. But that's why I'm sick of this, because no matter how much it closes the gap and allows you to connect with more people, Without having to travel, you can't rely on it. It cuts out. It's a pain in the butt. But it is what it is. So without taking up more of your time, because I think the interview is one that uh, a lot of people can can learn from, and there's a lot to unpack, especially in the first uh, half or so when we discuss everything mental health related. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into episode three of the All-Canadian Podcast with myself and third-year goalkeeper from the Conestoga Condors men's soccer program, Ian Anderson-McKenzie. Enjoy. All right, so now I uh, have the pleasure of welcoming in Ian Anderson-McKenzie of the Conestoga Condors men's soccer program. And Ian, first off, uh, again, I want to thank you for taking time to do this. And I know we had it originally planned to do it Wednesday. It's now Sunday is what it is. Uh, how are things with you, given everything kind of still going on in Ontario? I mean, we're, we're going the right direction, but given where we are, how are things with you and everything going on? Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I'm uh, glad to be here. Uh, glad to be speaking with you, but uh, I'm doing not too bad as, uh, as everyone I think is. We're kind of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, I think, right now. So, uh, as many lights as we've seen throughout so far, this seems to be the brightest. So, and it, it seems to be the one that we're moving the quickest towards. I think, uh, yeah, even even Ford said, I think everyone's done with COVID. And I mean, well, like we are, but at the same time, you know, we yeah. just kind of follow in the other provinces and just letting go of everything. So, I mean, yeah, we've seen a lot of light. This is the most promising, the most we've seen in a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's been a lot of good news, I guess, to come out of the last week, which yeah. is promising. Uh, yeah. We'll see how long it lasts. Um, yeah. But I mean, like you said, it's it's a glimmer of hope that I don't think we've seen in two years. Mm-hmm. 
and I think like everyone else, I'm kind of sick of everything that's uh, that we've gone through in the last two years. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Want to jump into a, there's a couple of things that we talked about before we came on that we wanted to kind of shed some light on. And one of the things is, and it's come up a lot in the last two years is the conversation on mental health. And yeah. I want to make sure we cover that first and foremost, because as we see about let's talk day comes around and people kind of post on social media to be part of the trend. And then mm-hmm. you see the day after, and then it's quiet. And yeah. I think it's one of those things that's really not a trend. Uh, it's a conversation that needs to happen year round. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of for you then just to start off with, how, how have you been in the last two years with everything that we've been through mentally? I think that's one of the things that's now become more commonplace to it's more accepted as health, I guess, mental health. Yeah. Uh, but how, how have you been in the last two years, especially given everything that we've had to endure? Well, I think for me, um, I'm a person that really needs to be time filled up, like always go, go, go always something to do to keep my mind going. And I think when the pandemic first hit, it was the biggest challenge was keeping myself busy, entertained. And I kind of, cause I kind of thought, oh, this is going to happen for a couple of weeks, a month, and then uh-huh. we'll be back to normal. And I think the biggest thing was just the constant adjustment, readjustment, and then self-reflection to kind of figure out what made me happy, um, what made me kind of stay sane in a sense because you can only sit at home and watch Netflix for so long before and especially for me as yeah. a, a goalkeeper in soccer like I at the beginning of the pandemic I'd go I'd kick a soccer ball against a wall and catch it and do certain drills okay. and stuff like that but right. when you can't go out and see other people and you can't get together with your teams it was, it was a really really difficult time and I mean coming back certainly has helped in that sense mm-hmm. um but there's still definitely have been some challenges mentally coming back even with social anxiety and getting back into large groups. Cause I never thought that I'd have an issue going back into a team setting or a large group setting, but it was weird. It was really, really weird. And I think there there's been so many different little roadblocks, um, that we've had to conquer alone a lot of the times mm-hmm. over this pandemic, um, whether people are necessarily separated from their families at school or living with roommates that they don't necessarily know it, a lot of support systems have kind of had to change. And I think everybody's dealt with that in a really different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and with our college teams, um, there's a lot of one, two year programs. So after that two years, when we came back, it was a full reset. Like we, on our team, we had four guys that had returned from the previous season that had played and it was a huge adjustment, basically rebuilding a team. Right. So. Right. And that, that in itself has its own challenges too, because then you're trying to rebuild a team or a program during a pandemic when, there's no summer soccer to be played. There's you're relying on film that's now two years old and yeah. trying to mesh the returnees with the newcomers. 
through mm-hmm. Zoom, through Teams, through whatever. It, it's like you said, everyone kind of dealt with it differently and had their own challenges, but it's it hasn't been easy, especially when you go from one extreme to the other. You go, you're in classes on a Friday, you're, you know, you're with your group, you're whatever. Monday rolls around, you're shut down for two weeks and you can't go out, you can't go anywhere. And yeah. we thought it would be, you know, two weeks, four weeks, you know, stay inside, quick lockdown, get it under control. And here we are going on month 24 still talking about it still feeling the effects and it's i remember the the first week of the pandemic i'd bought three new pairs of gloves because i was like oh yeah it's we're we're gonna be fine i'm gonna get to use these soon and they sat in my room for two two years i looked at those i don't think that they don't even leave the packaging at that point no and no (laughs) the and like you said, some people live on the road. They they're not with family or whatever. And I was fortunate enough to like it's just me and my wife. Like, mm-hmm. But even after like a while, like you see, you can't do anything. You're stuck in whatever residence you live in, whether it's yeah. one bedroom, a house. You go crazy real quick, and you yeah. get. But I'm like you. I'm a person that has to be doing something, mm-hmm. and. I even on a good day, I can't sit and watch more than like an hour of TV. Yeah, is that no, I get? I know what you mean. Unless it's sports. If it's sports, I'll sit there all day. Like, I'm fine. <laughs> but if it's, I can't binge anything. I can't. I just mm-hmm. can't because my body's just restless, and I'm like, I, can, yep. I need to do something. And that was mm-hmm. even working from home was a challenge. You go from the bedroom to the desk or the kitchen table. You see the yeah. same like. 15 steps well even every day. even right now like i live about 15 minute drive away from my parents all my classes currently are still online i okay. my program had doesn't go back until march 9th um but <laughs> so i'll uh, i'll get up in the morning and i'll come commute to my parents house uh just as that like get out of the house get my coffee i'll come i've got a desk set up here and it's kind of like my my morning commute to class essentially mm-hmm. and because if i just have to get up at 7:55 roll out of bed and turn on my laptop that first hour of class i'm not going to be engaged it's just so- not it's not how I operate. So that's kind of been my, my strategy as of right now. But I mean, when I first expected to come back this year, my program originally was supposed to be hybrid right off the bat in Mm -hmm. September. Um, And then come September, they ended up changing it for first semester. We'd be online, right? Second semester, we would be in the hybrid. And then January 31st came, went to online and it's kind of been, keep pushing the dates back. So I don't know if we're ever going to go back at this point. I it's, it is what it is. is we, I've, I've figured out the strategies to, to make the online learning work, but uh, I definitely wish we could be in class. It, 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 for me, I'm more of a hands-on in-person learner. And that was one of the things that I really liked about college mm-hmm. was um, the smaller class sizes that we had my ability to go and network with professors network with other classmates. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that I feel like is really lost this year. And even with the soccer team, like the camaraderie has been a lot more difficult to get because they're before we'd 
hang out after class on campus. You go to the the restaurant on campus, like Mm -hmm. your group chats going during the day, seeing who's there, seeing who just finished class, things like that. And it's been a lot different than the other years that I've played. Um, And it's been a struggle to get the guys close in a sense, like, um, and it's especially just with, I think, all the pandemic and the COVID stuff, people have been taking time to look at themselves. And I've seen a lot of people switch programs, switch courses, mm-hmm. um, really take time for themselves. And some have had to step away from soccer. So there's been a lot of adjustments there in our team as well. Like I think from our outdoor season going into the the OCAA indoor season that we have coming up, I think we've we've changed i think the seven or eight players from the roster oh wow so it's been quite the little switch over and i've it's kind of been like that at conestoga over the last couple of years because a lot of the programs that they have are either one to two year programs Mm -hmm. a lot of the longer programs that conestoga specializes in and offers in are more the nursing healthcare programs Mm -hmm. um and things like that but I find on our men's soccer team in terms of retaining players, like there have been, there's two of us right now, me and Malachi who have played more than three years. And other than that, everyone was a first year or a second year. That's crazy. And there's only, only two second years. So it was definitely interesting. Like I'm, I'm 25 turning 26 this year. And I definitely felt like an old fart on the team this year. That's for sure. (laughs) Especially like the last, you don't realize how, like fast the last two years have gone. Like you go from oh, yeah. the season you had before the pandemic. Okay. Like I'm still young, whatever, you know, ready to go. And then now you come back two years later and you think, yeah, it's the same thing. And you realize you're, you're that old guy. Now that's still yeah. just kind of. Yeah. I went from 22 and living the dream doing my quarter life crisis real quick. <laughs> <laughs> it sneaks up on you. It, it, gets it does. You real it quick. sure did. <laughs> and I don't know what I was doing at 25, but I probably thought the same thing, probably thinking what just happened. And like, I turned 30 working in athletics and I'm like, I see Mm -hmm. athletes coming in. They're 18. Yeah. doesn't turn 18 till like December. Mm -hmm. I'm 32 now. (laughs) What just happened? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I I was in high school. I was in high school when you were born. Yeah. (laughs) What is going on? Uh, well, even getting to this age and like looking at professional sports and seeing what some of the, the 18 and 19 year olds are doing in professional sports always puts it into perspective for me. Like I, as much as I, I like to think of myself, as like I, I get by as an athlete. Like I, I'm pretty good here and there. I'm pretty athletic. It's, some people are just built so much different than I am. It's unbelievable. Then I get in my own head. I'm like, what was I doing at 18? What was I doing? Yeah. at 19? <laughs> what, Where did I go wrong at like 15 or 16? Mm-hmm. And I look back and I was like, I had, I had not even a sniff of yeah. talent to what they have. <laughs> then you get in your own head and you're like, ah, like my parents must be so disappointed because they see these people on TV and I'm just rolling here doing whatever. Like it's ridiculous. So with the wonders of zoom, and, you know, the struggles of pandemic technology, technical <laughs> difficulties. Uh, 
you learn to live with it at this point. We're two years in and it's happened more times than I'd like to count or admit. And you just kind of yeah. brush it off at this point and roll with it. Um, I think the last thing I said was, and it's probably a sign that uh, my parents are disappointed in my athletic abilities in what I've been <laughs> able to do uh, as a child compared to those professionals who are now 18, 19, hack the Olympics, 15 year olds, 16 year olds, just winning medals. And I'm over here at 15 struggling at whatever it is (laughs) I want to do in life. And yeah, it is like apologies to my parents for not living up to their uh, (laughs) athletic standards. I I think. Yeah. But that's why they say there's one in a million and it's true. It's quite literally one in a million. Yes. Yeah. I've only known one person in my life that's gone to play professional sports. So that's, I don't know if I know anybody that I could yeah. actually say I know. Yeah, shout out to Steve Lorenz on the Carolina Hurricanes. Great guy. Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah. yeah. The one the one name drop I've got. So Steve, I, I gave you golf lessons growing up. So this is I get to I get to name drop you now. <laughs> there you go. You taught him all he knows on the golf course. We'll give that. That's a nice little claim to fame. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I taught him everything he knew, but I, I give him a tip here and there. As much as he tried to, as much as he tried to help me in hockey, which was not an easy task. Um, yeah, yeah, he did everything he could. You guy with two cinder blocks for a left and a right hand. So yeah, I was. I always wanted to play goalie growing up. So did I. So in hockey, I always wanted to play goalie, but I understood that the equipment was a little expensive. So that was uh, as much as it broke my heart. My That's why I got into playing soccer goalie because my parents were like, it's two gloves. You're good to go. Nice and easy (laughs) in a way you go a pair of cleats and uh, some gloves and off you go. And I don't know if I don't know if I ever made this story up in my head or if it actually happened, but my dad was always a goalie. My Mm -hmm. uncle, my grandpa, the whole family of goalies. And I wanted to play goalie and I was an only child. So I'm thinking yeah. I got a good, I got a good shot here. You know, <laughs> this might be my one. This could be my one opportunity. hindsight. This could have been my claim to fame, but I wasn't allowed. Uh, and I don't know if this is made up in my head or my mom actually said it, but she said, no, one idiot in the house is enough. <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to play goalie and she kind of took a dig at my dad. So then I'm, yeah. I had no hands at all. So I played defense and, yeah, that was, it, was it was all downhill from there. Yeah, I'd, I'd play defense. It, my parents, when I, I first chose to play defense, they were very surprised. They thought I was going to play forward. But I, I knew, even at a young age, I was not, not going to be able to put the puck in the net, but I could hit people. I could do that in hockey. I knew that. So I uh, played defense for, like, whenever we started playing rep hockey, I forget the ages, like yeah. eight or nine back then, mm-hmm. I think. Minor Adam, the good old days. Yeah. Then we started hitting at like 10, 10 or 11, mm-hmm. which <laughs> Those good old Canadian, yeah, good old Canadian hockey back then. I remember at those ages too, like I was like like four foot eight, <laughs> four, nine. And then you get the kid that hits the growth spurt, like my best friend growing up, Mike Weir. Mike, we are not the golfer, different Mike. I was gonna Weir, say that's two name drops in one. I was like, well, yeah. there's another guy you were just I, saving I know. And drop <laughs> later on. But uh no, he at 
like always extremely tall growing up. He is like six, seven now, but we are, when we are 12 years old, he's like five, six, like almost a good foot taller than me. Right. Yeah. And teams on other guys on other teams were like that too. And I just remember sometime I'd be going in to hit a guy with the puck and just know that I'd have absolutely no hope. <laughs> Those, those drills right. too. I always felt bad for, that wasn't tall by any means growing up, Yeah, uh, but you always have, at least we did. <clears throat> and it was the gauntlet to learn how to hit. Yeah, I just remember line, the like eight guys down the boards <laughs> and you just try to skate as fast as you can. And by the time yeah. you get to guy like three or four, the poor kids you lost die. all head of steam so that yeah. everyone's just teeing up on them. And it was always yeah. the, the shorter kids who always just got absolutely hammered. Yeah, and I, I felt so bad, but then it was my turn to hit him, and I just laid into him, and that was fun. Yeah, I know some of the drills growing up. Uh, yeah, it was uh, quite the experience, that's for sure. And then playing you... like playing lacrosse too. Like I, I played, I didn't play very long, but playing at a young age, like we started the body contact in lacrosse. It's all cross checking, and it starts at like seven years old. <laughs> <laughs> so just so unbelievably violent of a sport at so young but just okay. give give seven-year-olds with the attention span of like two seconds yeah the permission sticks. to <laughs> swing and hit people with lacrosse sticks yeah looking back at some of the drills and stuff that i did as a kid and i'm sure you did as a kid versus mm-hmm. now if they were to happen now in <laughs> 2022 cancel culture everything Mm -hmm. i don't know if he would be allowed to play no because i know there were some probably some questionable drills and stuff that we did as kids well uh, even just how how sport yeah even just how sports have evolved like i remember watching hockey back in the early 2000s guys like scott stevens and Mm -hmm. like it was unbelievable some of the hits that these guys were laying straight to that like and don't even get me started on the paul korea hit and then somehow paul korea is back on the ice i don't know how he i don't know how period. he was allowed to come back and play that that is the most un, yeah so and scored the game winning goal but that's a that's a whole topic for a, another day in terms of head injuries and concussions nowadays but holy Sports has definitely changed a lot in the last 10 years. I'll tell you that much in terms of those sports. Well, you see, you go from that hit, which was massive. Yeah. And I'll watch, like, I'm a diehard Chiefs fan. And I was watching the playoff game against, might have been Buffalo, when Mm -hmm. Tyron Matthew got kicked in the head. Yeah. In the first drive, and he was out. And you look at that hit. This guy yeah. just got absolutely murdered on national TV at the Blue Line. And you can see that he's unconscious laying on the ice and then coming back to consciousness. Like yeah, you can see his body go limp. You can see his soul yeah. leave his body. And he's back playing in half hour. Mm-hmm. And now I mean, you get kicked in the head and we're in protocol for a week. Yeah. I, I, I guess it's a good thing in I, retrospect. It completely is. I think it's more of so, the fact that how, how I guess, lackadaisical it was 15, 20 years day. ago when yeah. concussion protocol wasn't really 
thought of unless you yeah. were unconscious taken off on a stretcher then maybe they'll think about it but yeah, if you come back 100%. to if you come back to everything around you you're fine get back out there and go mm-hmm. home yeah i don't know i don't know how some i don't know how some of us survived those days because yeah what happened well and like growing up i think i definitely had more concussions than i probably was diagnosed with but like i only ever had one true diagnosed concussion and it was a really good hit from behind in in hockey and like it was another one of those ones where i was like five foot four and the other guy was six foot two and he hit me from behind and i they actually that one was like they they took me off on a stretcher and everything i I ended up it just ended up being a concussion but my i think it was prior in that game we'd had a kid who had got hit behind the net in just like a normal hit situation but Mm -hmm. it i guess he got hit right in the exact spot and he ruptured his spleen so they had already had to take him off on a stretcher and i think Uh everyone was kind of on like eggshells essentially so they just played it safe and they they took me off uh called an ambulance took me off on a stretcher and i kind of i mean i was like 13 or 14 i i thought it was like the coolest moment ever because I, I didn't think i was really i had a little bit of a headache but i was really in that much pain so i'm like giving the thumbs up and the the, the paramedics are like put your hands down like you don't want to there might be something wrong with your neck like i'm in like the full neck brace oh, and i'm like i'm like this <laughs> just wave into the crowd to make sure everyone knows you're okay well and it was hilarious because we're so i'm from waterloo and this was we're playing in sarnia and we get to the sarnia general hospital or wherever it is and the kid who the kid who had got injured in the game like 30 minutes before me was in the hospital bed beside me in the emergency room (laughs) (laughs) so we got a picture both of us in our jerseys and all in our hockey gear and uh, yeah it was funny that's crazy yeah. And like, I, I live in Sarnia right now, and I, that hospital, I don't know how good it was then, but it is so slow now. That's the irrelevant point to this whole thing. Uh, but as soon as you heard Sarnia, my heart broke for you. Uh, yeah. Because you I, had to come here to play <laughs> one thing and two, stay yeah. here longer than you need to. It was definitely a good knock to the head. So I, I can't lie. I don't really remember much. I was in the ambulance, <laughs> and then all of a sudden we were, we were in the waiting room, and... <laughs> somehow you you remember the most important thing of waving to the crowd and getting your moment to let people know you were fine and then we got back when i got back home the next day was a monday and i my mom had to fight me not to wear the neck brace to school because i wanted to pretend to everyone that i'd broke my neck as a joke and she didn't (laughs) seem to think that that was the funniest joke ever but 13 year old ian thought it would be really good to go to school in the neck brace i thought i might get you know some special treatment i might get like better spot to sit in class or something but, get to leave you know, early you know get yeah, to do like first in line for whatever it is yep i mean it's makes sense yep but no my mom shut that down <laughs> yeah, moms moms have a way of <laughs> knowing taking best. some yeah knowing best and taking some fun <laughs> out of it and uh <laughs> letting kids be kids to a certain extent but yeah that would be Maybe I don't know why story to show up at school with neck brace and yeah you, you I would tell you yeah, I thought attention. it was cool yeah I but I, I thought it was I thought it was a cool little neck brace but... people to sign your neck brace like they sign cast like it'd be yeah you could take it off and like you magically recovered in school and be like the superhero <laughs> kind of well, I was and... a, 
I, I, to be fair, was a kid in school that would always show up either on crutches or with a broken wrist or a broken this or so. It definitely would have been a believable story. That's for sure. I, I was all the offices at my school definitely got to know me for the kids that got injured at recess a lot, especially playing the amount of times I'd either because at our school, there was only really one like soccer net, essentially, um, at my elementary school growing up. So unless you were in the eighth grade, like you weren't playing on that soccer net. Um, so we, we had to play between two trees a lot of the time. Um, and as a goalie, I, be, I, I dove into a lot of tree branches and I say, I can see that. Yeah. Coming. Yeah. So that was, uh, good times, but a lot of the time painful, but the office was, was good at my school. My school nurse sure did get to know me though. Yeah. A lot of we, goose eggs to the head too. We had that too. Like we had, you know, the grade eights play on the soccer field. If you try to yeah, get on, there's like, always they're going the to bully you off somehow. And yeah, remember we had a, we were in grade seven. I think we played a seven versus eight game and then we had a shorter kid in grade seven. And mm-hmm. he somehow found himself, he hung from the crossbar. Remember this grade eight kid just came in and just swung his legs out and he just went face first in the dirt. Yeah, teeth in the like ground. I was like, you're not grade eight. Get off the net. And it's <laughs> kids being kids. It's the hierarchy of public school. You, you got to learn. You got to know these things. And this kid, yeah. he, uh, broken arm, missing teeth. He never, yeah. he never tried a grade eight again. <laughs> it was that was the last of him for mm-hmm. a while. Um, what other sports did you play as a kid? Then it sounds like you were busy. Yeah, I definitely was. I always, I wanted to play every sport. I think growing up, my parents only could let me do so much, but the ones I I played the most definitely were hockey, soccer, golf. Um, played probably six or seven years of lacrosse. Um, and then in high school, I played volleyball, uh, and a little bit of basketball. (laughs) Damn. Okay. So yeah, Yeah. you were, I understand now why when the pandemic hit, you struggled trying to stay busy because you go from being a kid well, playing like, every sport you could possibly play almost to yeah shutting down yeah and like I, at this point too like i was i was coaching as well i coached with a local soccer academy called red academy mm-hmm. um so i was coaching there i was playing like co-ed or men's league soccer three the three nights that i wasn't at conestoga doing stuff with that so it was like generally went from like seven seven days a week to zero days so it was definitely quite the adjustment yeah that was that was literally then like from a hundred to zero like you were forced to stop so Mm -hmm. then being kind of obviously that would take a hit kind of on your mental health like not being like we said going not being able to do anything not being able to stay busy um aside from now like with the commute to your parents to kind of stay in that routine of yeah going to class and whatever what other things have you done or learned to do in the last kind of two years that have really kind of helped you prioritize that kind of mental health side of on that right yeah i guess i'd honestly probably say the biggest thing is 
biking. Um, I started, I mean, I've been biking kind of my whole, whole life, whether it's been road cycling or, or mountain biking, but the last kind of two years, um, I really got back into it more for, for pleasure rather than for fitness, mm-hmm. um, or for work. Cause I'd, I mean, I spent a summer delivering food for Uber eats on my bike with the big, like food courier backpack, big like cooler bag thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, that was, I mean, it's good. You, you get, you get your workout in, mm-hmm. you, you get a little tan and get to deliver some people their food and you get some hilarious stories from that, from Uber Eats. Like I had one guy who it was an apartment complex and it was one of those apartment complexes with a restaurant in the bottom, like with a couple stores at the bottom of it. And mm-hmm. they lived on the fifth floor and they ordered it from the restaurant in the bottom. <laughs> I just delivered it up. And like, to be fair, he, he was on crutches. He had a broken ankle or something. He had an air cast yeah. on. So I, I understood it. But like when I, I thought my app was broken because it was just telling me to deliver it back to the same place. <laughs> I, had to call, <laughs> I ended up calling the support line for like the delivery drivers. And I'm like, hey, like. I don't think it's telling me like where to take this. And they're like, Oh no, like, I think it's there. It's just, it says the fifth floor. So I think you just got to go up. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but, like When you get that point too, like you have to wonder like the, the restaurant should be able to deliver. That's what I was. That's what upstairs. I told them. I was like, I was like, I think you can probably just call them and they could probably just walk it up. <laughs> I'm sure there's uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't like, especially, I, like I, I've, I've worked at a, a sushi restaurant in town and I, I know the margins in terms of like the markup and the, the amount that Uber Eats takes from a restaurant mm-hmm. to, to do that. It's, it's happy. Like, I think Uber is the, the highest and I think they're 30%. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Um, and, and then DoorDash is 15 and Skip is 10 or 15 as well. But yeah, Uber is it's crazy. So a lot of restaurants, they end up just having to mark up their food prices on those apps. But I mean, it was the only way to survive during the pandemic for a lot of restaurants. That's true. So you that had is to true. Do what you had to do whether you were just cutting by. If it meant getting food out to people, you did what you had to do. I think I would, I think I would feel weird ordering food from my own building and then getting it mm-hmm. delivered in my own building. Mm-hmm. Even I know if I was on crutches or whatever, yeah, I feel like I'm that ordering would from be, somewhere else. Like I'm at least <laughs> ordering from at least from across the street. Like, Make it worth it. Yeah. Like even then that's still a little weird, but like if I could go down an elevator. Yeah. Make me ride my it, bike at least a hundred kilometers. Like, exactly. You get off. Or, sorry. A hundred meters, not kilometers. Don't make me ride it that long. You get it. <laughs> that would just, that would just feel weird. But then, as you said that, like you listed, you used to bike plus all these other sports and everything else. And I'm looking at myself, I am yeah. lazy. I don't do a <laughs> I, damn thing. Like I love, well, I didn't love it, but like walking yeah. from my bedroom to the table and putting on sweatpants well, to work, that was fantastic. Yeah. Like I, got I, a mean, desk, I, I got a desk job for a reason. I don't know if I like, if, if I necessarily love it but I, it's just something that I have to do to stay sane because I just like I know for me with my own mental health to sit and to think is to sit and to overthink 
So the less time that I am sitting with my own thoughts, I think is the better for me. Mm-hmm. There definitely needs to be time for it because I definitely, even over the last kind of two weeks, like two or three days ago, I was really feeling a burnout. I'd stretched myself too thin. I was doing too much and I kind of had to pull back and I got kind of lucky this week with it being the the long weekend and mm-hmm. some of the sports stuff being canceled this week where I've kind of had a couple of days to, to recoup, but um, it's definitely, definitely a fine balance of keeping myself busy enough to where I'm feeling fulfilled, but mm-hmm. not too busy that I am burnt out and not being productive in the right senses. Right. That's because fair. especially especially for myself like i'll i'll prioritize a co-ed soccer game over a school assignment because i, I i'd like to play soccer like that's mm-hmm. what i'd want to do and especially as a goalkeeper i feel this weird obligation to show up because you're the only one that's playing that position so if you're to find a substitute for somebody to put the gloves on and get a ball kicked at their face isn't always the easiest thing to do. Like it's not, it's not for sane people. Like I, I say that a lot of the fair. time. That is fair. So you don't really meet normal people that volunteer to get stuff kicked at them um, or shot at them or mm-hmm. <laughs> so even, even tonight, like we had practice and like it's something about this year coming back at Conestoga. I've got hit in the face so many times with the soccer ball. Like, I don't know if I said it or jinxed it. And like for our outdoor season, I wore uh, a GoPro to do some footage for one of my classes where we needed to do uh, like daily vlogs and things like that. But <laughs> like, I think I got like three or four times of me just getting smoked in the face on the GoPro this year. And like, <laughs> I didn't have a recording that often, but apparently it, it, I was a magnet this year. So been high on the concussion protocol, but our, uh, our athletic training staff at Conestoga is great. So they've know me well and keep me going lots of the time. It's but, just another, another institution where the offices get to know you well yeah. for, your your track record and resume of various ailments and injuries to be fair i'll give it to i'll give it to conestoga and what they've done kind of over the the last three or four years uh in terms of prioritizing athletes mental health and Mm -hmm. check-ins like we have weekly check-ins with uh like our mental health coordinator essentially and then um the teams that are in season, it's either once or twice a week where they do surveys where essentially um, talk about how your week's going, um, how's school going, mentally stressed. They'll connect you with counselors if you need connection with any of the on-campus counselors that we have at Conestoga. So it's been it's been really good. The, the two ladies that have been in charge of that have, have really stepped up at Conestoga. It's been really nice to see. And I think a lot of the athletes really appreciate it because it's helped develop a relationship as well with mm. the facilities and not just the coaches that you have, right? So right. And it's it's probably brought to light a lot of resources that are on campus that maybe people didn't realize were there yeah. beforehand. 100%. I think that's uh, especially right now with the pandemic when you're not on campus as much and seeing what's actually going on. Right. right. So 
Cause I think there's going to be, and like you said, with, with the turnover you guys have had in your group with mm-hmm. programs in one or two years, you're going to have students that potentially graduate this April who started during the pandemic. Yeah. Have completed a two year program. Never touched campus, never touched campus, never mm-hmm. seen the resources that are there. Haven't been able to meet anybody really in person athletes yeah. that maybe wanted to go to open tryouts or something that maybe weren't able to because their program is fully online. Yeah. That takes a huge hit on people. And mm-hmm. to now I think, and I've said this a lot too. I think this as I don't know how else to say it as, as brutal as the pandemic is um, this has been like a two year window that I think we all needed to have. And it it's forced people to slow down. And yeah. like you said with people switching programs or doing whatever, it's shown you that life can change like that. Do what you love to do, do what you enjoy, whatever else. But it's also put an emphasis on mental health and taking care of ourselves first. And I think seeing mm-hmm. what hearing what Conestoga has done now with the surveys and everything else, and what other schools have done as well in their own kind of realm of. Um, abilities it, it's really refreshing I guess to see the priority being put on that and have yeah. it continue and grow as the as the years of the pandemic have gone on and it feels weird to say years because it's in a long two years I know yeah yeah it has definitely definitely been a ride that's for sure but I'm but hoping like- that this continues to develop as we come out of this and as that light of, at the end of the tunnel gets bigger and closer and mm-hmm. next year is hopefully a just, you know, everybody's back hundred percent in person. It's yeah. the college experience again, but we don't kind of forget these things that we've implemented and put as a priority mm-hmm. now continue that when it comes out of this. Yeah. And I, I definitely think, especially over the last 10 to 15 years that I've been watching it and experiencing it, the, the mental health conversation has definitely become a lot more prevalent and a lot more, not necessarily easy to talk about because it's never necessarily an easy topic to, to get behind, but it's become more of a mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I, for me, it, it, it struck me at a a young age, my father passed away, um, took his own life to, to mental illness. And, um, it was always a, a struggle for me growing up, kind of not only dealing with my own mental health issues, but also kind of feeling like I needed to be a support system for others because I had experienced things that I didn't think other people had gone through. And I felt Mm -hmm. like I had the obligation to be there for everybody and anybody because I didn't want anybody to not have nobody. I don't know if that made any sense because it felt like a lot of jumbly words, but I I think it made it made a ton of sense. (laughs) I, I, I was, I was, Focusing on the words, and I was like, okay, I see where he's yeah. going with this. Okay, then he said it, and I was like, I got it. I'm with you. Yeah, but the, the, the way it broke down to me was trying to be there for everybody wasn't necessarily the best thing um, 
because that's where the stretching yourself too thin can come in and Mm -hmm. you can't necessarily be there for somebody in the capacity that you need to be if you're not mentally okay yourself right right so as much as it's important to be there for other people it's also important to take the time for yourself and make sure that you're okay to be giving the advice and the support that the the person needs and if you're not the person to do that for them then it's important to have that conversation and point them in the right direction which i think is one of the the biggest conversations that can be had is is resourcing and not necessarily doing your best to be there for everybody that you can, but pointing them in the right direction to the, the tools and the support that they might need, whether it's their own family reaching out to free support counseling, things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the biggest, biggest thing that I've learned over the, the years and years that I've been battling my own battle with mental health or helping others with theirs is kind of, it's not always to put the onus on yourself to help people. It's, it's pointing them in the right direction to help themselves, I think is the, the biggest thing. Yeah. Because when you try to put everybody kind of ahead of you and you try to help everybody kind of like you said, do you put yourself like, obviously you try to do that and be a support system for everybody else. You, then put yourself kind of below everyone and Mm -hmm. you forget to take care of yourself. And then you can't give your all to whether it's sport, family, whatever else, Mm -hmm. because you've given it all to everyone else. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. And like, I, it, it's, it's, it's a tough, tough balance to get. Like I, especially before the program that I'm in now, which is a a media production program, I was in a three-year marketing degree. um, And it was a heavy, heavy course load. Um, Like we had seven to eight courses, tons of assignments. um, And the first year and a half, two years of it, um, I'd lost one... um, close friend from high school. Um, and I didn't do what I had always said to other people and I didn't reach out to my resources and I internalized a lot of things. Um, and I didn't set myself up for success in the way that, um, I needed to. And I actually ended up I failed, I think three courses that semester and had to go on to academic probation. This is the first year that I played soccer. Um, so I didn't get to play indoor that season. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was one year actually before the, the pandemic had happened. And I decided to stay in the marketing program, even though I didn't really like it, but I had started it and I felt this obligation to try to finish it. Um, Mm -hmm. And when everything kind of transitioned to online, that really actually gave me the the time to step back and think about what in this program have I liked? 
what haven't I liked? Where can I specialize in essentially? Um, or what do I see myself doing uh, like for the rest of my life, essentially? And it, it came down to making that decision. And I, as much as the pandemic has had its negative effects, I think that was one of the, the most positive effects for me is now I've finally found a program that I'm enjoying and it's giving me uh, an idea of what I want to do after. So I think that it's been a weird full circle thing, but I think the, the thing that I can say the most about it is if you don't get it right with your first college program, don't fret. If you don't get it right with your second college program, don't fret because I am now on number three and I finally feel like I got it right. So <laughs> you'll yeah. get there. They do say um, third time's the charm. So I guess that yeah. kind of rings true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting cause I started off in electrical. I thought I wanted to be an electrician or electrical engineer, but <laughs> then we went to marketing and now we're in media. So you change as a person. And uh, I mean, if you look at this, my student card from my first year at Conestoga to how it looks now, I definitely do not look like the same person. So well, no, we've 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 determined that you are now the twenty five going fart. on twenty six old fart that just kind of, yeah. you know, but I, again, like, well, first of all, like my my condolences to you for the losses that you've endured, especially recently with the close friend from high school. But I think that's that's the pandemic referring to the classes, like it, it's forced us to slow down and, mm-hmm. and have those internal thoughts and internal conversations to figure out what it is you enjoy doing, what you don't enjoy doing, what you want to do with life, because you only have one of them and yeah. if you're not doing it to enjoy it and have fun. You're kind of doing it for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. And as and- much as we're all here to play sports, we're all in, we're all in school as well in the end. And that's one thing I, I've certainly sometimes forgotten over my my lifespan career as a student athlete is the, the student part is first yeah. in the student athlete. And it, it should probably stay there. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, as you say it aloud, you're like student athlete. OK, student comes first. I mean, yeah. sports, obviously more fun. I'd rather be an athlete student. Uh, yeah but as as much as we all want to be professional athletes uh the i i don't think it's i don't think it's in the cards for me sadly as the the 25 year old short short goalkeeper from canada so <laughs> well i mean the we've talked a bit like figuring out topics and stuff for this and what we wanted to talk mm-hmm. about and you you mentioned that uh the golf was one of the big ones kind of for you uh, mm-hmm. kind of especially in around high school um so i guess really there is still like the option for like the like a champions tour type of professional yeah and like, maybe mm-hmm. I, it, I to be fair if there was one sport that i might have a shot at it would be golf but um at this point like i i played a ton growing up as a kid and it, it was the sport that I chose when um, it, it had kind of boiled down to my parents were like, okay, you've played all these sports. 
you need to choose one and that's the one you're going to play. And I mean, I, I looked at basketball, my height and my abilities and <laughs> it, basketball was not in the card. Nope. Um, soccer as well. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I was an okay soccer player back then. I was an mm-hmm. okay goalie, but I wasn't anything special. And I definitely had the best chance at going to school uh, and playing uh, collegiate golf. So I decided to um, kind of focus all my stuff towards that. I was doing tournaments essentially every weekend between the the GAO, the MJT, CJGA, all the kind of junior tour uh, stuff in Ontario, and then the odd AGA uh, AJGA stuff in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just got to the point where I kind of burnt myself out and it was affecting the relationship that I had with my stepdad and my mom and my family, because there was so much tension in, I wouldn't say pressure, um, necessarily, but like, uh, I guess you could call it pressure because I'd, I'd kind of stopped playing the other sports. Golf mm-hmm. was the one. Um, and like I'd made it apparent to friends and family that my goal was to go to the States to play on a scholarship. And I felt like if I didn't get there, then I had failed my mm-hmm. goal. Right. So it was, I think, around grade 11 where I took the step back and I decided not to continue playing competitive golf that summer Mm -hmm. Um, and finished out grade 12, uh, played soccer and football and some other high school sports that I hadn't had the chance to play because I had had football to play golf, the sports you played. My goodness. Like you're on like at least like 12 sports now. But okay. To be fair for football, I'd never actually got to like, the summer before um, that football season, I'd partially torn my ACL. Um, so the doctors didn't want me playing contact sports clearly because I had partially torn ACL, clearly, but they yeah. still, they still let me be the punter and the kicker. Cause there wasn't really a ton of okay. contact in that. Um, so that was my extent of playing football. I was a punter and a kicker. So as much as you want to, but hey, that's still that's that's another time commitment. That's another it's yeah. practices. That's, I mean, <laughs> to, to be fair, practice practices for me because I was a non-contact punter was the first forty-five minutes was stretching, um, and then we went into special teams, which was me kicking for about fifteen minutes, and then another about twenty-five minutes of stretching while the guys did cardio, and then I'd go in there for the cool down. Talked to the coaches and the the support staff a lot, but I did, definitely didn't do a lot of practicing on the football field. I was there for the camaraderie and Fair. the uh, yeah, not that guy with the cool leather jacket, but uh, yeah. there for the there for the gear and just to, you yeah. know hang out with some buddies and have some fun. Yeah, yeah, and say that I played football for a year. That's crazy. That was a- yeah. I didn't Sorry, play American music. football for all my American football, football friends out there. Yeah. Uh, was there looking at golf? Was there a, was there a school that you wanted to play at? If you could pick a school, is there one that you'd want to go to? Uh, University of Michigan, hands down. Yeah. See, 
when you said golf and I was going through the possibilities in my head and that or, or Kentucky, those see, I can, the two schools. I can tend state as well, but Michigan is number one. See, I was, I told myself just, too, you, just, for Wolver- said that, just for Wolverine football games. I told myself too, if you said Michigan, <laughs> I was just going to end it there and just call, <laughs> wrap it up and say, this has been great. Um, if you, uh, if you want to come back, you know, we can't mention Michigan again Yeah, uh, because I am, I'm white through and through. And yeah. I, I just thought, I was like, there's no way he's going to pick Michigan. Like school, <laughs> go down South where it's sunny and warm all the time or California. Yeah. No, Michigan, Michigan. <laughs> They had like 363 other schools you could have picked. Yeah. And, and you had to pick I, yeah, Michigan. Michigan. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it can state as wow. well. And I had two, I had two cousins that went to, uh, wow, I'm blanking on the name. It's, I think it's Warford. Wa- Wofford. It's Wofford. Yeah. 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 And they played golf there. So that would have been a, a cool one to continue the family tradition and go. Another fantastic there. option. Could yeah. Have said that. That would have, so, been, would have been fine. Yeah. Now I'm just kind of thrown off <laughs> the rails and the, yeah. the one. We just forget I said Michigan. Oh no, we yeah. don't. We don't no, forget. No, we don't forget. We do not. Like I've got like my Michigan State and, mini helmet in my office. Do, I got football. I've got do, everything. Do, do you want to know why it's Michigan? And it, it, literally, it's some of the stupidest. And this is why the majority of my favorite sports teams are my favorite sports teams. Like when I, I got. NCAA 2003 or 2004 for my PlayStation 2, or it might have been 2012, or I, I forget the year of it, whenever it was. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why I picked Michigan, but that was like the first team that came up on the slider. And I was like, I created my my character player for that that team. And from then on, 11 year old Ian was a Michigan fan. And it's the same for like soccer, Tottenham Hotspur, like they're awful and i don't know why i'm a fan of tottenham hotspur but like when i first played fifa it, mm-hmm. i picked tottenham because I, I liked their little crest and i was like cool that's my team and same i'm a new york knicks fan like okay awful okay awful who is okay now i gotta know because so you're knicks, it was right yeah michigan yeah do you do you have a baseball team uh don't say toronto no it's it i'm gonna say if i had a baseball team the pittsburgh pirates okay i can get behind that yeah hockey pittsburgh penguins okay uh football um american football sorry (laughs) san diego chargers who i guess now are the los angeles chargers but that was only because of Ladamian. I don't watch a ton of football. I'm not oh, a huge football fan, so I couldn't call myself. Yeah, I couldn't call myself a football fan in the slightest. But I grew up liking um, Ladamian Thomason and the San Diego Chargers because I thought their uniforms were super sweet, mm-hmm. and I thought LT was unreal. Um, but I also liked the Steelers growing up as well because I was kind of like the Pittsburgh Pittsburgh everything. Yeah, if I if I didn't like the sport very much, I'd just go for a Pittsburgh team. Okay, so, that's fair. Yeah. See, I uh, like I used to work. I worked in golf for like eight years, and yeah, like, kind of like you it was one of those things I thought thought about going down, 
mm-hmm. south and just figured kind of lost the joy in it when you work in it all the time. The last thing you want to yeah. do is play more. Um, yeah. But I worked out in Alberta for two years and worked with a lot of like Aussies and Kiwis mm-hmm. and they're big into soccer. And they, one guy, he's like, who's your, who's your premier league team? I was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't play <laughs> soccer. I don't watch soccer. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, he's like, Oh, you got to pick a team. Okay. Pull up the standings. I was like, I can't pick a team that's played yet. Yeah. And it was like two that hadn't played. It's like Tottenham hadn't played. I was like Tottenham. There it is. And I was like, Let's go. of all teams. And I couldn't tell you what they've done since that was four years ago. I just, well, I, it's pretty easy to keep track of Tottenham's trophy cabinet because in however long our history is, we've never won a trophy. So perfect. Yeah. You have not easy. missed anything. Um, I think the, yeah. Yeah. The biggest claim to fame we have is like scoring the most goals in the FA cup. And that's about it. Perfect. So. Now I can, now I have a like two points to talk about. If anybody asks me my soccer fandom, uh, yeah. which doesn't come up too often, so I think mm-hmm. I'm safe. Although in the pandemic, I found myself watching like German soccer because it was yeah, the only thing on TV. Yeah. yeah, it was the only thing on TV. And I think I sat there one day and watched like two games back to back. And I was like, yeah. what did I just do? <laughs> I don't know who played. Yeah. I don't know who won. But I can tell you, I sat on the couch and watched two yeah. German soccer league games. I was like, yeah, I'm a new person in this pandemic. Well, and like for me, like I, I never used to watch soccer nor follow it really at all. And like, I, I guess it was four years ago now um, when I came to the, when I came to Conestoga to try out for the soccer team, I had no expectations of making it like Mm -hmm. playing on the team, anything like that. I hadn't really played competitive soccer since high school. So it'd been like almost five ish years. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up making it. We had two goalies at the time. Worked my butt off and got the starting job that year. Um, and it like definitely have had to fully immerse myself in the soccer verse to mm-hmm. understand the game and the way it's played now nowadays. A goalkeeper is very involved in tactics. Mm-hmm. and the movement of the ball and um i can definitely thank my my coaches peter and jamie and Stu. they're all guys that are at red academy as well um but i like it's been a lot of learning and a lot of watching football but i definitely enjoy it now um a lot more than i used to mm-hmm. it's weird like soccer was always just a fun kind of thing growing up for me and now i'd wished i had taken it seriously the whole time you know it's it's weird like i'd wish i'd i'd bet on my five foot nine goalkeeper self back then you know like i instead of playing golf but i probably would have made the same decision again looking back on it but i wish i'd i wish i'd chosen soccer but like growing up my family is nobody plays soccer nobody is ever been a soccer player person they were all ski racers and hockey players so ski racers okay yeah yeah my mom and my uncle were both ski racers ski racers growing up so 
I was I was going to ask too, like if you already answered it, but like hindsight, obviously being twenty twenty and looking at soccer now and playing yeah. at Conestoga and choosing golf instead, then mm-hmm. would you have made the same decision or kind of seen how it played out? But you just kind of said that and you said, made well, the I same think decision. if I if I'd known in hindsight, um, I think I would have not necessarily gone so deep into the golf thing and kind of let myself still have fun because like there was one summer where I hung out with my friends that weren't golfers one time the like from the end of school to the beginning of school and it was my birthday and that was the only time that I saw like my school friends Mm -hmm. I was at the golf course or at a tournament every single day so Mm -hmm. it was it was uh a commitment. I mean, all sports are a commitment in that to a sense, but like a soccer game is 90 minutes. Golf is four and a half to five hours on a good day to play around. Doesn't, doesn't include doesn't factor the other f- practice range time, time or showing up early and workouts. And yeah. So it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was good in a sense. And it taught me a lot of good things about discipline and, mm-hmm self self-discipline as much as my stepdad really did need to yell at me a lot of the times to get my butt in gear um but yeah he only thing he really ever had to do is tell me to put my driver away i love to hit the driver that was the yeah need to get, i i just thought my natural abilities would come through on the potting green so i just wanted to drive for show and maybe putt for dough if it maybe. if it went down that way but I, I had one tournament. I remember I was in a GAO event at Cherry Hills um, <laughs> and I was coming down 18 and I think I had a two, two or three shot lead. I didn't really like know it at the time. I knew I was playing really well, but I drive right down the middle, second shot onto the green. And I probably had like 10, 15 feet and it was like downhill pin placement was not a very nice pin placement, but I put it like 15 feet by off the front of the green ended up six putting and losing the tournament by <laughs> two strokes. Um, and it was like top three moved on to play for team Ontario and I came mm-hmm. fourth. So um, oh. let's just say I got a, a long year full on the way home that time. And I like it, I, I don't know what I was doing. I, I, I don't know why I six putted, but <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the thing it's with golf. golf too right it's, it's golf it's only you it's yeah you on you entirely it. the being alone with your thoughts like mm. it's not easy and no. the drive i'm like you driver is so much fun like you just want to yeah. hit it whenever <laughs> i i would have been a, i would have loved to be a long drive competition guy that just seems like the most fun i have a, a guy from my high school who's on the remax long drive tour and that just seems like the best job just go just, and absolutely smack golf balls for a living just see how far you can hit it straight or just get it in the width of football field yeah, basically and just hope field. for the best and <laughs> just do what we all do on the driving range at the end of every yeah. session is try to just mm-hmm. bomb it as far as you can and yeah. get paid to do it <laughs> i think that would be probably one of the ideal jobs just yeah whack golf balls around at different random venues they set up this yeah field in basically. Of race tracks and, yeah airstrips anywhere they can find 
wide enough space, long enough space. Just hit, let's hit little white balls around and see what happens. <laughs> Is there, what's the best course that you think you've played in your mind? Um, best course, nicest course, one that you like a bucket list course kind of for you. Yeah. Um, so there's one in London, Ontario that I was really lucky to play. It's called Red Tail. Um, it's a very like exclusive uh-huh. club. Um, they only have about 50 to 80 members, I think at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, the course is nice in itself, but it's more so the experience and the ambiance. Cause they only have a tea time every four hours, I believe. So you're, yeah, there's not many rounds up. played. There's not many rounds played there a year. Like I'm yeah. originally from London and you hear about yeah. red tail. How did, yeah. how did you get there then? I got to ask that so, um, my stepdad, his, he was working in the automotive industry at the time and mm-hmm. a good friend and contact of his, his brother is one of the owners of Redtail. Damn. Yeah. Um, yeah. As soon as you hear Redtail in London golf, you're like, Hey, that's like, yeah. Tier. So I, I only actually, we only got to play 16 holes because we got out later in the day and mm-hmm. like it got dark, but I, I didn't care. I was like, didn't get me out there the clubhouse was unbelievable. Like I, it, 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 it was something out of a, a movie mm-hmm. in, in a sense. Um, but I think my favorite course that I've played in Ontario is one up in Barrie. It's called black bear Ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's beautiful. I played an event there when I was like 13 or 14. And I still remember it to this day. But I was very lucky as well growing up getting to play at Westmount in Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just Stanley Thompson design. Um, and another really, really nice course. And uh, my grandpa was a member there. So we've been kind of grandfathered in. And I sadly am not a member any, anymore because I, I, can't, I, I can't pay the fees while I'm in school right now. So. <laughs> Maybe one day, but uh, yeah, that was definitely a, a blessing getting to, to play there growing up. And it's put it into perspective for me, some of the really, really nice golf courses that I got to play as a kid. <laughs> yeah, you, you look back at like the tournaments and as a kid, you're just yeah. like, you know what, I'm just playing golf, whatever. And then you get to yeah. be an adult who has to pay the fees and memberships and rounds. Yeah. You're like, oh, like, okay. Yeah. yeah I was 13, just kind of, you know yeah <laughs> thinking this is just another golfer this is what it's going to be like when i'm older yeah no it's not that only no. if it only was that simple mm-hmm. it'd be nice uh do you still play a lot of golf now or is it kind of like in the summers or um, just kind of around work and the, whatever you can get it yeah the last like three or four years have been a lot of soccer in the summer um I got out golfing during the pandemic in the times in which is when we could in Ontario with their weird schedule when that was happening. But right. uh, um, I'd probably say like I get four to 10 rounds in the summer right now. It's not, so yeah, it's, it's serviceable. Yeah. Yeah. I always... I've got a good friend that takes me out to uh, Burlington golf and country club a lot. So that is a, a nice treat. And I like to go play there, but uh, yeah. We have a, I have a buddy of mine who's the best man at my wedding. Like we always plan every summer to try and get out and, you know, we're going to golf every other weekend and do this and yeah. that and the other. <laughs> There's always the plan. <laughs> we, lives, we live three hours apart. So we're like, you know what? Like 
one weekend I'll drive to you, one you come here, yeah. one we'll meet in the middle, whatever. Yeah. We played two rounds last year. And <laughs> I was like, like we talked in the last round, we're like next summer is gonna be better. Like we're gonna do this and this and this. Yeah. Forget it. And like neither of us have kids. And we're just like, what are we doing? <laughs> we just, well, yeah, that's that's even me with my friends and like skiing and, and snowboarding. Like last year we got out like basically one of the last weekends for the first time. We we're like, all right, next summer, like. Or next winter, we're going to get it all ready. We're going to get passes. We're going to do that. And, like, I got my passes and stuff this year. And, like, I got so busy with school, work, and soccer. Like, I've been out once. <laughs> it's, and it's, so, a price, it's pricey to pay for this pass to store yeah. it, basically. It's, yeah. That's one thing but, that sucks about being an adult is you make all these yeah. plans and you have these, you know, responsibilities yeah. that take precedence and then – Again, being a kid, not a care in the world. Parents are taking you yeah. wherever and mm-hmm. bless them for everything they did carry it, taking us to you to seemingly every sport under the sun. Yeah. You know, each I know. day is something different. Although um, I, I wasn't allowed to play baseball and I was really upset about that as a kid. But now looking back on it, like I don't know how I could have ever played baseball. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you'd fit that in with no everything else. You know, I. I quit soccer as a kid to play baseball. Yeah. Probably because the fact that there's too many kids picking weeds in the middle mm-hmm. of the field that I just kind of like, I mean, this isn't fun. Yeah. And like, I just let me do something else. And mm-hmm. like I was a defenseman. I didn't like to, I didn't, couldn't play forward because one, I had stone hands and two, I was kind of lazy. I didn't like to skate a lot. So I just yeah. played, I just played first base. You don't have to go very far. People yep. throw the ball to you. I wanted to be a catcher, so I, I understand that. I catcher, I, goalkeeper. Yeah. I I don't know. My my mind is weird when it comes to sports sometimes. Hey. But in terms of soccer, when I when I showed up and I was figuring out what position to play, and I realized that the goalie didn't run out of that box and everyone else had to run all over this big old field, I was like, yep. Yep. Sign me up for the one that you stand in the box. One that gets to stand there, you know, get that yeah. nice tan, you know, people, how yeah. people come to you. Um, yeah. And like a lot of my coaches when I was younger, didn't want me to, because like, I'm not very skillful with the soccer ball, but when you're young enough, if you're faster and you, everyone was small enough, you can just kind of kick the ball around people and run and go get it. Yeah. So like I, I could score a decent amount of goals when I was a kid, but as soon as people started to have like defending abilities and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, that's when I knew my time was to go back to the net. Yeah. I think my, uh, my athletic claim to fame came early. I scored, I think I scored seven goals in one youth soccer game. Wow. And then too many kids were picking weeds and I got yelled at in the car because I celebrated on my seventh goal and mom didn't like that. Uh, (laughs) So she's like, you got to pass the ball more. And I was like, well, I don't want to, my team's not good. So then I quit and played baseball and, yeah. The rest is history. Maybe, maybe soccer was my thing. Maybe it was. Probably yeah. not. Probably not no. for the best. But um, just last one I have for you, unless you want to throw in anything else. But you mentioned yeah. kind of in the pandemic, kind of realizing what it is you wanted to do and going to the media production program. What what do you want to do when you're done? Like, do you have a clear idea of what? you want to do or just kind of more of a direction and still trying to kind of figure out uh kind of what's next for you when Conestoga kind of runs its course um well I got a couple 
like things kind of options and it's <laughs> like the one main thing is building my own brand because I do want to do some freelance media film um, film production and things like that and mm -hmm. then also dabbling a little bit in like small business website design marketing and things like that um, with the sushi restaurant that I work at and then with um, the academy that I coach at as well this mm -hmm. summer kind of transitioning to do um, and help with some of their media um, taking uh, film for all their games and things like that for the academy teams and then continuing to work with the grassroots stuff that we do and all the the goalkeeping academy that we have there um, mm -hmm. it's kind of the the good the plan for this summer um, I was thinking about moving out to BC um, cause I do love to ride my mountain bike. And that is one thing that I've always wanted to check off my bucket list. Um, so that is another possibility. And then there's also the other possibility of me coming back to school next year, potentially, um, to do another program in the, the, um, broadcast media, mm -hmm. uh, sector. Um, so yeah, a lot of options right now. I mean, if I don't come back to play um, at Conestoga next year, I'll be back to coach. Uh, I already talked about that. So definitely right. excited in that sense um, to be back regardless, whether it's going to be to be on the field. I, I love coaching, but it's going to be dang hard to sit on that bench knowing that I could be playing. So that's why I'm keeping the door open to potentially coming back for another program. Cause for some reason I can't decide to retire. As most of the guys would say at Conestoga, it's my 13th year and 15th program. And eventually he'll figure it out. Just be, just be a lifetime student and just take. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've, yeah, I've got the longest five years of eligibility in the world and somehow still only use three of them. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was going to so. say that. You mentioned that, yeah, you still got two left, so you could play until you're 27. Yeah. Scary. Wow. My, my, my knees quiver at the, the thought of that. Both my knees are literally shaking thinking about playing more college soccer. But I think we will like, see. the knees and, like, your face might hurt some more, too, like if, yeah. the, if the track record <laughs> keeps going the way it is. To be fair, I've got a very hard head. Like, I, I don't feel it much anymore. And I don't, know, like, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing though. It could be hard yeah. to one, but like mm -hmm. the frequency that it happens enough where you just kind of get immune to it. Like that might be. Yeah. Well, and, and then you factor, you factor too, in like, indoor seasons too. You got two indoor seasons on top of the outdoor three yeah. if you count this year. You have yeah, five well, seasons actually, of soccer. Left. I miss, I miss. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. That is true. That is a lot of soccer. I don't mean, I don't want to like crush any dreams and then keep doing what you want to do, but if you play it in the summer I, and doing all these other things, like, yeah, I got, I got my first all-star this year, so I might just retire on a good note. <laughs> you don't know what'll happen next year. Come back with a whole different type of save percentage. Yeah. But, but also, still, have, but apparently we have a good replacement goalkeeper coming in too. So let's, Oh, they're already trying to replace. Oh boy. Uh oh! I'm, well, now, I'm now you almost to, now you almost have I'm, to go back. To I'm the it. goalkeeper coach now, so I'm trying to replace. I'm trying to find that's somebody fair. to, that's to fair. replace me, and that's fair. Keep the legacy of the coconut condors going. Yeah, I mean, 
or you also take you build off the all-star this year and um, you can continue to hold it over the younger guys and say, look what the old fart can do. Mm-hmm. Come back and play even more. I don't, I don't know. There are a lot of options to this now that I asked that. Yeah, you can go. Is, well, and that we did have a really young team this year. Like a majority of the guys were under the age of 20 or 21. That, and that I know, doesn't help. That doesn't help me. Like, I just feel older now when you say that. I know, that. but it, I, I, in the sense of me, is that like, when I showed up to Conestoga three years ago, our men's program hadn't won a regular season game in six years to put that into perspective. Okay. okay. We hadn't had a recorded win in six years too. We are in a good division. I mean, with Humber, Sheridan, UTM, mm-hmm. like, it's really good soccer programs there, yeah. but still like mm-hmm. uh, that was tough. And the first year that I played, we had three ties and seven losses. Um, and then second season we started off great we had a really good team a lot of guys that had played together kind of growing up um around um cambridge kitchener area mm-hmm. and we started off four and one uh with a really good three two loss at home to humber um mm-hmm. which was like probably some of the best soccer I've seen Conestoga play in, in the four years that I was there, that those first four or five games. And we ended up having an issue with an, an, an ineligible player um, where we had a division two NCAA player who had played four years of college soccer in the States came signed with us um, played the first five games without any kind of knowledge or anything that he was ineligible. Um, And then he ended up, uh, we were playing Mohawk. um, And I remember us getting kind of the information that I guess the rules in Ontario is that your fifth year of eligibility can only be used in the OUA and not in the OCAA. So, yeah, it doesn't, it's not (laughs) the same for both. Which, uh, yeah, um, I don't really know where the disconnect was there, but sadly we ended up losing those wins mm-hmm. um, and missing the playoffs that season by one point. So that was uh, that was a tough, tough kind of thing to to go through, especially for a really like we had a really really good team that mm-hmm. year, yeah, um, and we never really could kind of find our groove after losing Tyler that to that kind of weird circumstance mm-hmm. but uh i mean it's great to see where the programs come in the past four years from not winning right. a game to finally having a positive record this year and getting to the playoffs winning our first playoff game in a long time and mm-hmm. should be good the i think programs in good hands with the new kind of coaching staff that's come in and the the code I don't know if you know the coach there. His name is Peter Mackey. He was mm-hmm. the coach for 19 or 20 years at UW <laughs> yep. um, as well. So, uh, yeah, they've done a good job. Him and his son, Stu, done a good job kind of recreating a, a much better culture and a more kind of family and soccer first rather than just a, a place to play college soccer. Um, right. And they really advocated for – the players like us to have better places to practice, have better facilities, um, 
and things like that. So that's been really nice to see as well. Cause uh, I know as much as Conestoga has become a great place and I, I love it. I love all the facility and all the staff there. We definitely don't have the most funding for our sports programs. We definitely don't have the, it's not one of the focuses like a, a Humber or um, kind of those like perennial yeah. sports schools, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's been different, but it's, it's been kind of cool to see it grow over the last little bit. I was going to say, especially for you kind of like being there coming into the program that hadn't won a game in, in six years to seeing yeah. it kind of progress in your, in your three years and getting to that point of this year of the playoff game win and the all-star award and kind of everything that's come along with the progression in the last three years, like obviously from the outside looking in, it's yeah. a, it's a good story, but being actually a part of it and kind of seeing it firsthand is, mm-hmm. is, is gotta be kind of cool to see kind of all the hard work you guys have put in start to pay off and build that foundation for the program to kind of build on. Uh, yeah. when you guys are gone, whether that's this year, next year, after year five, whenever it is, to kind of see it continue to grow and then from another side as a coach at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. One more I'm going to ask you, and it's one I ask everybody at the end just because I like to get as many ideas and thoughts and whatever. Yeah. And comes around kind of like, like you said, with the coach kind of advocating for you guys to have better training facilities and whatever else. And um, for me, the biggest thing is kind of getting, especially the CCAA as a whole, because it's, yeah. it's, it's non-existent um, media coverage and yeah. being a media production guy and kind of want to get into the, the film side of it and whatever else. So I'm interested to hear your kind of thoughts, but just looking to get kind of more ideas, thoughts, anything kind of out there on how we can get U sports, CCAA men's and women's the attention, respect, admiration that you guys are more than deserving of um, Mm -hmm. on a yearly basis and not just kind of when nationals roll around and it's, it's done for six months and yeah, kind of almost similar to the mental health conversation and the fact that people do it to say they did it and then brush it aside. Yeah. Well, I think the, the first and the main thing is, is community based in terms of colleges and universities engaging their communities, getting people out to sporting events, letting them know that there are these events happening in their city. Because I know even me growing up in Waterloo, like I grew up with Laurier and University of Waterloo five minutes from my house. And I think I went to one football game in the entire time, like I didn't know they had soccer, hockey, like all these different sports that I could have been going to for probably pretty reasonably priced (laughs) for my family when I was growing up. So Mm -hmm. um, those are definitely kind of the community outreach is a big thing. And then in terms of I've they've been doing a lot of really good stuff, the OCAA, at least with their live streams and getting more coverage that way especially since we haven't been able to have a lot of uh in-person attendance for um the indoor sports especially for basketball and volleyball um 
like I was at, we were at Conestoga for a workout today and it was nice because the volleyball team was playing. So our, our gym setup is kind of up above on a track above where okay. the volleyball team, so we kind of, we got to watch, which was nice. Uh, right. I haven't got to see like a, a volleyball game in a, a long time. So like mm-hmm. we were doing our workout, but we were really yeah, just working cheering, out yeah. cheering section from the top. But uh, um, I think that one of the good outlets i know i'm blanking on the it's the nwphl it's the national pacific women's hockey league i think it was they did a deal with twitch okay um to stream like to do right like a mm-hmm. yeah like I remember a, what you're saying yeah uh I'm, I'm blanking on the word but basically all their streams and all their games on twitch for mm-hmm. um the whole season and i think I mean, the OCAA has done a good job with their their website in terms of it's not the easiest to work around, but like all the games are there. You can kind of find them. But I think if the CCAA as a whole was able to get onto one kind of um, cohesive structure where all the games are in one place, mm-hmm. you have a schedule of what's coming up. Yep. Um, I think that that would be really positive as well to kind of, especially because like I've even just from your page, like getting to kind of see the schools that are out East and see the schools that are out West that I kind of had no idea were schools. <laughs> and like one of them I've looked into applying to in, in for September. So it's like, okay. it, it's, I, I think that that is, is a big thing as well as kind of not just sharing your local sports, but the, all of them across Canada with different avenues. Cause like I said, I had no idea about some of the teams that were out there and some of the players. So it's, it's been cool to see. Uh, I'm willing to bet that if you ask somebody in BC about Conestoga, they would have no idea what even Conestoga was. Yeah. That's and what I mean, you go out East to do the same thing and you look at all six leagues in the CCAA and every league is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Alberta has a paywall. They get to pay to watch their games, but Quebec, Quebec is on like YouTube, so there's no yeah. actual stream through their league. And then you go Manitoba, there's no even stats on their <laughs> website. Like it's just a schedule, like no box scores, no nothing. Mm-hmm. So like having some sort of like structure as a whole for yeah. obviously each league can kind of do it their own way, but having like a minimum standard, this is what you have to have, mm-hmm. yada yada yada, make it more accessible so not six websites are different to navigate or you have to go six yeah. different places to find what you could find on one site if you wanted to. Yeah. And it's just some sort of minimum standard for all six leagues. And yeah, I mean, you've got a hundred schools in the CCAA alone. Like that's a lot of information that could be beneficial for people across yeah. the country, like yourself looking at schools now to apply to and different things that who knew who knows if you would have ever known about, and I'm sure there's other people in your shoes that are out East that could apply to a school at West or in Ontario that they just have no idea about. Yeah. Just there's just so many different ways that this could and should go. And and I'm always interested that it's, that it's never taken off like it has in the States to me the the college sports in Canada I understand that the the marketing maybe hasn't been there in a sense but 
there's so much good college sport and university sport in Canada that it, it, I don't know. It's, it's weird to me that it doesn't get showcased as much in, yeah. in Canadian media, but. And I think, I think the biggest thing is obviously the money thing is a big one. Like obviously yeah. the advertisement and you look at the population of the United States versus Canada and the number of schools solely. Right. I mean, that's yeah. the big things, but I think comparing it to them is the easy way. Obviously, it's, it's what we're all going to do because it's yeah. you see theirs versus ours. And I yeah. think I think there are ways to get ours out there mm-hmm. with what we have available, and obviously within the scope of Canadian sport and financials and everything else. I mean, what we have now in, in national media is is pretty well non-existent. Yeah. So I think anything is is an improvement. Right now, it's a lot of the schools kind of pushing their own narrative and local outlets kind of grab a bit here and there. But nationally, it's especially CCAA, like you're it's not even represented on the websites. Like, yeah, there's no tab, there's no Mm -hmm. like I'd look through Twitter of Sportsnet and TSN a while ago, and the last tweet was November of 2016, I think, mentioned CCAA. Yeah, which There's, is it's you've wild. Missed, you've missed six years of yeah. everything going on. You've missed six years of Humber Hawks winning a lot of soccer, a lot of soccer, basketball, volleyball. <laughs> but uh, uh, and ironically, their last tweet was about Humber. Yeah, yeah. CJ, uh, women's basketball player of the year. That was their last tweet, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of good sport has gone on in the last six years that yeah who knows who could have benefited from it if you know people actually showed they actually cared and not yeah. just said they did and then when push came to shove it's not my job someone else will do it and yeah here we are with nobody else really <laughs> doing it doing it <laughs> uh, um that's all right we'll we'll get it there someday i mean yeah Hopefully and in I my mean, lifetime. The, the growth is definitely coming because I mean, even in the last I it might also be because I've been more involved in the sports at like the CCAA and the, but I've definitely noticed that I've seen more of it in the last seven to ten years mm-hmm. than I did when I was a kid, that's for sure. And I think yeah. social media has had a good good and positive benefit on that as well, yeah. to be able to kind of get the attention without having to spend the absurd amount of money that they would need to. Yep. Um, if you're going to go for a television deal or mm-hmm. a radio deal or something like that. So yeah, the, the endless reach of social media has immense mm-hmm. benefits and yeah, I don't think we fully tapped into its potential, but it's, it's definitely yeah going the right way. Like I grew up in London, Fanshawe Western. Yeah. Unless it was like a, a school event for like a Western football game. Yeah. I didn't go. Nobody knew about it. No. no. Yeah. I went to Fanshawe. I didn't go to a game in two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went to Brock. I went to like two in three years. <laughs> yeah. And now here I am advocating for people to go. Yeah. I didn't really exactly follow my own advice back in the day. <laughs> Hindsight being. Yeah. 2020. I, it came full circle. I've learned from my mistakes. Yeah. And now I work in athletics. So, I mean, I'm just really trying to make up for what I haven't done in my yeah life which <laughs> is exactly what i'm trying to push for um yeah. 
put you on the spot. Anything else you want to add? Any last words you want to go? Any more name drops that you might have held in? Is it the real Mike Weir that you were hinting at earlier and you tried to cover it up? Taller. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, anything else you want to add in that we didn't touch on? I'll kind of leave the last word to you. Um, I'll just end with thank you. Thank you for reaching out to me. Thank you for doing everything that you've been doing to advocate for all the sports in Canada um, and for helping me kind of have a conversation for mental health and continuing that Um, because it's been a a big part of my life. And I think that it needs to be a big part of a lot of other people's because it's something we need to normalize and kind of bring more to the forefront and I think it's getting there so just us having this conversation today is another building block which I think is good but yeah the biggest thing is just thanks thanks for having me like full disclaimer like mental health for me was never really a conversation growing Mm -hmm. up and now seeing the importance of it and like hearing like stories of yours and it it shows the importance of having the conversations and it needs mm-hmm. to continue far and along, far and away outside of just one day of the year where people post it and say, Yeah, look at me. And then the next day is they don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, but oh, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this and for reaching out to me and saying, If you, if I could be a part of it, let me know. And I'm always happy yeah. to, to do whatever I can. And anytime you want to do it again, hopefully. We don't have to use Zoom. We can do something yeah. in person. Um, Sounds good. Because I, like I said before we came on, this two years of Zoom and Microsoft Teams yeah. and all this nonsense, I'm done no, with 100%. it. I'm over it. Um, but anytime you want to do it, there's always a spot here for you. I'm always more than happy to do it again. Awesome. Thank you very much.